good evening, and we are just so excited about starting a brand new series tonight that we are calling uh, My Get To uh, Life, and we are, we are so excited about the opportunity to begin a brand new kind of series and train of thought for the next four weeks together, and so this series is going to take us for the next four weeks kind of through this conversation, and we get a chance to talk about this idea of My Get To uh, Life, and as we begin this series, I thought it would only be fitting um, if I started by just giving some credit where credit is due. And so I think it's important that you know that as we've been working and developing this series, um, that a lot of uh, the, some of the conversation that we're going to be having uh, through this series has been inspired by, and it's kind of been influenced by a really good friend of mine, uh, by one of the pastors here at Grace Church that's at our Bath Campus. He's one of the teaching pastors over at the Bath Campus, uh, a guy by the name of Pastor Ryan Roadman. Uh, some of you maybe are familiar with Ryan. Ryan actually has been a guest here at the Medina East Campus on a few different occasions. He's spoken here before. And like I said, just a great friend. He's an incredible pastor and incredible teacher. And so some of the language that we're talking about in this series, this idea of get to, uh, this my get to life idea, some of that came from Pastor Ryan. I heard him gave a few talks on this, and I thought it was so, so, so helpful and so I wanted to kind of share some of it with us as we uh, journey through this conversation together. Uh, as I did say, this is the first week in a four-part conversation. And so let me just also say that if you're a guest with us this evening, I really think you came at an awesome time. Uh, we oftentimes say that the beginning of the series is the best opportunity to get connected to Grace Church. And so if you're kind of investigating Grace, trying to figure out, you know, is this the church for me? trying to get to understand us a little bit, uh, the beginning of a new series is such a good time because you're kind of catching us at the beginning of a new stream of thought. And so I actually would encourage you as you're investigating grace to maybe lock in for the duration of this series and kind of hear the whole process, the whole thought process kind of work itself out. So this weekend as we jump in, we want to begin just by kind of doing an introduction, uh, sort of wetting our ep- appetite and kind of getting our mind around uh, this idea of my get to life kind of talking about what exactly is this series, what are we, what are we hoping to accomplish in this series, where are we kind of uh, going with it. That's sort of our hope today as we introduce that. So to introduce this series, I actually want to start by inviting you to grab your Bibles if you have them, and we're going to take those, we're going to go to Luke chapter 17 this evening. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 17 if you would, that'd be awesome, uh, Luke 17. And of course, if you didn't bring a Bible with you or if you don't have a, a Bible app on your phone or on your tablet, uh, you could just go ahead and take one of our Bibles and you could turn to page 7. 31 in those black Bibles that we have laid out there for you. And then, of course, let me just mention to you as well that if you don't own a Bible and you want one, to take one of ours, okay? You can just write your name in it and uh, make that a gift from us to you. So Luke 17, page 731 in those black Bibles. Go ahead and find that. And as you guys are finding Luke 17, wherever, whatever Bible you have, uh, let me kind of frame up our conversation a little bit by telling you just sort of a small story. So um, when I was 12 years old, Uh, That was the first time I had ever seen the ocean. In fact, when I was 12 years old, it's actually the first time I ever left the state of Ohio. And so I kind of grew up in a house. I don't know if you guys did or not, but my my family didn't really travel a lot. And so we just kind of stayed around Ohio. When we went on vacation, we would kind of usually go places local. And so I never really left the state of Ohio until I was 12. And what happened was my, my friend, I had a friend of mine, he was going on a family vacation to Myrtle Beach. And so he invited me to come along with him and his family to go down to the beach. And so, of course, never leaving the state, I jumped on that opportunity. And I was so excited at the prospect of kind of traveling and getting out of what was normal. And I really, really wanted to see um, the ocean. And it's so funny. I think it's because I, I, I wanted to see it so badly. I vividly remember the first time I saw the ocean. And, and so we had, you know, we made the long drive down to Myrtle Beach and 
you know, when you're 12 years old, it feels like, it feels like an eternity. And I remember when we got there and we saw the ocean, I was so excited um, that I got out of the car. I didn't even change my clothes. I just jumped right in. And my buddy and I both, we just kind of jumped. We were so excited to be there. We just kind of jumped right in uh, with the clothes that we were wearing on. And, and there was three things that I vividly remember about the ocean uh, that really surprised me, that, that were just so mind-blowing to me when we got there. The first, the first one was probably the most obvious, was just the enormity of it. I mean, just water everywhere you could see. And I just remember looking at the waves and thinking, man, they're just so big and they're so powerful, right? Because you've got to remember, up to this point, I was used to Lake Erie. And, and Geauga Lake, the wave at Geauga, you guys remember that? That was like my encounter with waves, one every like 15 minutes that would come. And, and so I was just like, man, this is crazy. These things are pounded. And it was awesome. And, and so that was the first thing. The second thing that really blew me away about the ocean was just the, the taste of it, the salt. And I, of course, I knew uh, that, the, that the ocean was salt water. But I guess for some reason, it never calculated in my mind that you would be able to taste it. And so I just remember thinking, man, this is crazy. This tastes so salty and the waves are insane. And the third thing that really surprised me about the ocean, this, this took me a bit to figure out, was I told you my friend and I uh, kind of jumped in with our clothes on. So, of course, we took our shirt, sh- shirts off and took our shoes off. We left them on the shore and we kind of jumped in the water. And so for about 10 or 15 minutes, uh, we were just, you know, playing in the waves. We were body surfing, having, having fun. And after about 10 or 15 minutes, I remember looking up to the shore to kind of check on my stuff, to make sure my shoes and all that stuff was fine. I remember I looked up and, and my stuff was gone. And I was like, where did my stuff go? So I looked at my friend. I said, I said dude, our stuff is gone. And he's like, what are you talking? Of course, he looks over. Our stuff is gone. And we're like, we better go figure this out. So we go back on the shore. We start looking for our stuff. It's nowhere to be found. Until a little bit, we finally look down and we see that 100 yards away, there's all of our stuff. And for the first time, it occurred to me, I learned what, of course, all you guys know, I've been to the ocean, and that is that if you're not careful, you will drift as you're playing, and you'll just drift. And so 10, 15 minutes of playing, we weren't even thinking about it. And here, we had drifted like 100 yards down the shore from where we originally started. And many of you guys know because of the undertow and because of the waves and because of the current of the ocean, that if you're not paying attention... Uh, that if you're not mindful of where you are, if you're not paying, that, that, that next thing you know, you're going to find yourself in a position where you're saying, man, how did I get here, right? Now, now, the reason I tell you that story is because one of the things that I found in life, and I'm sure you found as well, is that just like with the ocean, there are many areas of life where we are, where we are prone to drifting. Uh, there are natural drifts that occur in life, just like with the ocean. And so there's relational drifts that can happen. There's drifts that can happen in marriage, right? That all of a sudden you find yourself in a position, man, how did we get here, right? There, there's habitual drifts that can take place. That over time, compound interest will lead you to places that make you say, man, how did I get here, right? There's drifts that can happen spiritually where all of a sudden, man, how did I get here? And, and those, those things can happen before we know it. We find ourselves drifting into different places. And so in this series, what we want to talk about is I actually want to talk about one very specific drift that I think all of us can relate to. And this is a drift from something that we call a get-to mentality into a have-to mentality, okay? Now, this is a natural, I think all of us can relate with this. There's a drift that occurs in life. We start with a get-to mentality, and then over time, something happens, and if we're not paying attention, we'll find ourselves over in a have-to camp. So what do I mean? Well, let me give you a couple examples of what I'm talking about. Now, my guess is, for, for those of us in this room, 
who have a job or are in a career. I know that some of you right now are trying to figure that out. Some of you are in between jobs and careers. But my guess is for those of us who have jobs and careers, when we started in that job or that career, my guess is most of us would probably say that we started kind of over here. We probably started with a little bit of a get-to mentality. So for example, maybe you graduated college or something, and maybe you, you ended up finding a job in your field, and you started off with such enthusiasm and excitement, and there was a get-to about it. You're like, man, I get to do this. I get to pursue a career within my education field. I get to take the education that I have and put it into good use. And so you're excited about the new opportunity. You're excited about the prospect. And there's this this strong get-to mentality that comes with that new opportunity. Or maybe for you, you're in a job right now and you were job hunting for a long time and you couldn't find it. And so then finally you you landed this job and you were so thankful and so excited to jump. You're like, man, I'm I'm so glad I get to do this and I get to have benefits, and I get to get a paycheck, and I get to provide for my family. And and so there's like a a thankfulness that comes with it. Well, all of us know how this works, right? Over time, there's a drift that happens. And one day we wake up and we realize that somewhere in here, this switched on us. And we went from a get-to mentality to a have-to mentality. Now I have to go to work. And now I have to. what, what, What at one time felt like a privilege now suddenly feels like an obligation. And we look back and say, man, when did that happen? What was it that caused that switch to take place? Of course, this happens in relationships. I think a lot of us can probably think about uh, times when we were dating or when we were engaged or maybe when you were newly married. Some of you are in those stages right now. And, And you think about it, when you first start in that relational season, isn't it true that it's oftentimes full of a whole lot of get to, right? Oh, we get to do this. I remember uh, when Jess and I first started dating, I just remember I was so excited that I got to be her boyfriend. I was so proud. I was like, man, I get to be her boyfriend and, and, and I get to have her as my girlfriend. It was so awesome. In fact, I remember we actually joke around about this. When we first started dating, there was a weekend that we couldn't see each other. Uh, we had pretty much seen each other every weekend when we first started dating. And there was a weekend we couldn't see each other because I had to work and she was gonna be up in Sandusky with some of her friends. And I remember it was late at night and I had to get up early the next day but I was like, I have to go see her. And so I got in the car and I drove up to Sandusky just to be with her for an hour, just to spend an hour so I could drive back the next day and be tired at work all day. But I was like, I don't care. I'm in love, right? I get to do this. She, I, I get to have her as my, and I get to spend time. I get to serve her. And of course, you guys know how this works, right? I think if all of us were being honest, when you're in a relationship for a long time when, and when you get married and those things, a lot of times what can happen is this starts to change. And this get-to can drift, and all of a sudden, you find yourself in a have-to mentality. Things that at one time came naturally and came easily, all of a sudden, you got to fight for those things. And we, we ask ourselves, man, when did that happen? When did that happen? Because you can't point to a specific moment in time. There's a drift that occurred. I think for some of you who are students, if you're uh, in high school or if you're in college right now, uh, my guess is you know, maybe you entered into this year, you entered in this semester, and you started with a get-to mentality. Like, all right, man, I get to have a clean start. I get to be a senior this year, right? Get to rule the school. I get to take these certain classes in my major. And there's a, there's a sense of optimism and enthusiasm and privilege that comes with it. But now, of course, it's November, right? And busyness has set in and midterms have come. And all of a sudden, what was a get to has suddenly become a have to. What was a privilege has become an obligation. And now I'm just like, I just want to get through this. 
And look, we could go on and on and on, but I think you guys know what I'm talking about. This can happen with a lot of different things in life. Happen, it can happen with parenting. You're like, at first, man, I get to be a parent. I get to have children. Now you're like, well, I, got, I guess I have to feed the kid if it's going to live. <laughs> and it's like that transit. Where, where does that happen? How does this drift occur? And so in this series, here, here's what we want to talk about. The question we want to try to investigate in this series is really this. How does that happen? How does this drift occur from a get-to mentality to a have-to mentality? I guess here's the bigger question we want to try to investigate together. Is it possible to stay over here? Is it possible to live a life where you can view the things that are in front of you, your circumstances around you, permanently with a get-to lens? Is that possible? Is it possible to fight against the drift to move into a have-to life? Here's why I think that's such an important question. I think this is such an important question because... Here's what I believe about every person in this room, uh, whether you're younger or whether you're older, whether you're a, a person of faith, whether you're not a person of faith. I think here's the one thing all of us have in common in this room is that none of us wants to live a have-to life. I think, that, I think it's pretty safe to say none of us, I don't think any of us are saying, you know what I want to do? I want to live a life of obligation and drudgery. That's what I want to do. I don't think any of us are saying that, right? And so the question is, is it possible then for us to reawaken wonder in our relationships and in, in, in our, in our, in our uh, careers and in our parenting. And, and uh, is it possible to reawaken wonder in those places and to enter into a get-to mentality? So like I said, today what we're going to be doing is we're going to kind of be introducing this whole thought process. And the passage that I want to look at today I think is so, so helpful. It's not only going to help us, I think, understand a little bit of how this drift occurs, but I also think that this passage is really going to give us some great insight into how we can fight against this drift and how we can keep a get-to mentality. So Luke 11, again, is the passage that we're in. Today, what we're going to do is we're going to start in verse 11, and we're going to go down to verse 12, or uh, to verse uh, 19, rather, in, uh, in Luke chapter uh, 17. So let's take a look at this, starting off in verse 11, Luke 17, verse 11. It says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, And as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance, and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. All right, so let's just pause there for a minute. Let's try to get our minds around what we just read. Um, So a little context here. We're in Luke 17. So this is actually getting close to the end of Jesus' ministry. Uh, Jesus has been going around healing people, teaching, preaching. The Bible tells us that now he's on his way to Jerusalem. And so as he's on his way to Jerusalem, the Bible tells us that he's kind of in this place right now. He's along the border of Samaria and Galilee. And as he's going, he decides he's going to stop into this village. Now, we don't know what village it was. The Bible doesn't tell us. But here's what we do know about this circumstance. The Bible says that as he goes into this village, there was a group of 10 lepers. Of course, lepers were, would have been men with leprosy, with the disease of leprosy. And they saw Jesus and they cried out to him. And they said, Jesus, Master have pity on us. Or some of your translations might say, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Now, some of you might be aware of this, but back in Bible times, to have lep- leprosy uh, would have been a deep misfortune. And on several different counts. So, so first off, many of you guys know, leprosy is a skin disease. In the Bible, when the Bible talks about leprosy, it can actually refer to many different types of skin diseases. Uh, But it is very probable that the leprosy that we see in this passage uh, was a disease that oftentimes was terminal. Uh, This was a disease that they didn't have the same uh, medical advancements that we do in our society today. 
And so if a person had leprosy, it was a slow and brutal death. And it was a very contagious disease as well. And so this was a very unfortunate thing for these men to have leprosy because this would have been a terminal illness. This would have been a death sentence for these guys. But, but, but not just, this wasn't just unfortunate because it was a terminal illness. This also would have been deeply um, socially unfortunate. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, there actually was a whole bunch of laws and regulations that were given for people who have leprosy. And so if you had leprosy back in this time because it was such a deeply contagious disease and because it was so deadly, you were commanded to, to leave the society. You were, you were commanded to live on the outskirts of society. So you weren't allowed to enter in the village. You weren't allowed to enter into the camp. You weren't allowed uh, to interact socially in normal ways. You weren't allowed to worship in the temple as others would be allowed to worship. And so you were kind of confined to quarantine. And you had to live on the outstretches of society. You would have been marginalized and ostracized back in this time. In fact, if you look in this passage, you'll notice that the Bible says that these men cried out to Jesus from a distance. Why were they at a distance? Uh, Because they were legally obligated to be so. Uh, They were outside of the community. And and so here you have these men in a very, very deeply unfortunate circumstance. And the Bible says they saw Jesus. Now, again, we're in Luke 17. So that means that Jesus probably probably has a pretty strong reputation by this point. Uh, Chances are good that these men heard about Christ. They probably heard that he had the ability to heal people. They probably heard that he had supernatural powers, that he could perform amazing things. And so the Bible says when they saw Jesus, they cried out to him and they said, Master, Lord, would you have pity on us? Or would you, would you show mercy to our unfavorable circumstance that we're in right now? And so the Bible says that Jesus responded to them and he did heal them. So notice what happens. Look at verse 14. When Jesus saw them, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were healed. They were cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. As they went, they were healed. So these guys cried out to Jesus, Jesus, Master, would you show pity on us? Would you heal us? And so Jesus looked at them and he said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And the Bible says, as they went, they were healed. Total miracle on the part of Jesus. Now, some of you guys might notice this, that this miracle that we see in verse 14 is actually categorically a little different than most miracles of Jesus. Most of the time Jesus performs miracles, he does it right there on the spot. So Jesus heals a blind man. He heals him right there on the spot. Uh, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He did it right there on the spot. But with these lepers, you notice something different. Jesus says, go to the priest. And the Bible says, as they went, uh, they were healed. Now, why would Jesus tell these guys to go to the priest? Well, again, I told you that there were some Old Testament laws in Numbers chapters uh, 13 and 14 that talked about um, what lepers should do. And part of those laws explained that if a person had leprosy and they thought they were healed, what they were required to do is they were required to go to the priest. And the priest would then perform an examination. Part of the priest's duties was almost to be like a health inspector. And if the priest saw that you were healed, what that meant for you is it meant that you were fully reinstated socially. You were able to come back in and interact socially, uh, go back to worship the way you had previously. And so you guys, for, for Jesus to heal these men, these 10 men, And for them to present themselves to the priest, this would have been a huge deal for them. Because this would have meant for them, not only were they healed from their disease, but it also would have meant for them that now they could be fully reinstated back into the social dynamic of that culture. So it would have been an incredible thing for these men. Absolute miracle 
on Jesus' part. And now watch this, because the story is going to take a weird twist. Once you notice what happens in verse 15, look at this. One of them, okay, so remember, how many were there? It was 10. All right, so one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back, praising God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet, and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Okay, so I want you to notice here, the Bible says that there was 10 of them that were healed. One of them saw that he was healed. He saw the miracle that had been performed in his life. And the Bible says that he was so amped up about what had happened that he came back. He said, I'm going back to Jesus who healed me. And the Bible says, notice how fired up he is. The Bible says that he was praising God in a loud voice. So he's shouting praise to Jesus. In fact, the Greek word that's used there for in a loud voice is actually the same uh, Greek word where we get our English word megaphone from. So this guy's fired up. He's like, yeah, I am healed. He comes back to Jesus. He's pumped up. And then check this out. Verse 16, he says, he threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanking him. I mean, this guy was over the top. He was so excited. He was so fired up about the work that God had just performed in his life. And so Jesus sees this. And I want you to notice how Jesus responds to him. Verse 17. Jesus asked him, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except for this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So, so Jesus sees this guy. This guy's fired up. He's all excited. He's been healed. And Jesus sees this. And then Jesus responds to him. And Jesus responds in such a way that he recognizes the disproportionate response to the miracle he's just performed. She says, wait a minute. There's one of you who's coming. Was there not 10 of you? Wasn't there 10 of you that I just performed this miracle? Where's the other 90%? One in 10 showed back up. 10% came back to thank Jesus and to praise Jesus. And so Jesus looked and he concluded by saying, if you look at verse 19, he said to them, rise and go, your faith has made you well. And with that statement, that little statement that Jesus says, that kind of ends this really fascinating and bizarre story that we see in the Bible about these 10 lepers. Now, it's, a, it's kind of a crazy passage if you think about it. There's so much that's packed in these verses. We could talk about so much. But for the sake of our conversation, I want you just to notice this. I want you to notice that 10 of these guys were healed. They, they all came to Jesus. They all had, were in the same circumstance. All of them were healed. And yet the Bible says that only one of them came back. And here's the question I want us to wrestle with a little bit. What is it that distinguished that one guy from the other nine? Right, this is a question I want to think about for a minute. What was it that distinguished, what is it that that one guy had? What did he possess that the other nine didn't, that put him in a position that he was able to respond to Jesus with thankfulness and praise and adoration and gratefulness? What was it that he had? What was it that distinguished him? that caused him to respond in this way. And here's why I think that's an important question. Because if we talk about this idea of maintaining a get-to perspective, I think that this guy right here not only serves as a prime example of that, but I also think that he gives us a lot of great clues in how we can do that as well. So what is it that kind of set him apart? Well, I think it's pretty clear in verse 15. I think verse 15 is really the crux of the passage that sets him apart from the other guys. Look again at verse 15. It says, one of them... When he was healed, came back. He came back. He came back. He praised God in a loud voice. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. You see, what is it that set this guy apart? Well, the Bible tells us a few things. The Bible says this guy, unlike the others, he came back. 
he remembered what God had done for him. Rather than forgetting what Jesus had done and going on his way, he remembered. He recognized what Christ did. The Bible says he praised him. He glorified him. He gave recognition and credibility where credibility and recognition was due. He praised him. And the Bible says he fell at his feet and he thanked him with gratitude. What set this guy apart, man? He came back. He remembered. He, 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 he gave credit to Jesus. He recognized who was responsible. And the Bible says he had a heart that was full of gratitude and a heart that was full of thankfulness. Because I think one of the things this passage does so well is it points out a, a truth that is true among all humanity. And that is this. It points out the reality of how common it is for we as people to cry out to God and to beg God and to recognize God when we find ourselves in places of desperation. Right? Do you notice in this passage, all 10 guys are in this place where they're in unfortunate circumstances. They're all in desperate situations. They all have leprosy. And do you notice that all 10 of them cry out to Jesus? 100% of them cry out to Jesus in their desperation. And you guys, there's nothing new here, Right? Is it not true that when you and I, when we find ourselves in place of, of less fortunate circumstances, when we find ourselves in places of wanting, when we find ourselves in places of desperation, isn't it true that it's often in those places that we are so quick to cry out to God, to recognize God, to say, God, help me. God, save me. God, show pity on me. God, change my circumstance. That's so common for us to do that. A hundred percent of them did that when they were in need. And so I think this passage shows us how common that is. But at the same time, this passage also shows us how rare it is to be a person of thankfulness and gratitude and being able to praise God in the times when everything is going okay. I mean, isn't that true? That often when things are going fine, when things are smooth sailing, we forget God. We forget the things that he's done for us. We get, we get spiritual amnesia. And we forget about the things that God has done and we go on with our lives as if nothing has ever happen. You guys, what is it that really sets this guy apart from the, What is it that distinguishes him from the other nine? Well, I think, I think that this is really important, and this might sound really obvious, but what it was that set him apart was not his circumstance. It was not his circumstance. It was his heart. It was his heart. Now, again, this might sound obvious, but I think it's worth saying. I, I, think, I think this is really, really important, so try to track with me on this, all right? Listen, a change of circumstance does not guarantee a change of heart. Let me, let me try to say it, say it this way. So if you notice in this, in this story, you have 10 guys who have pretty much identical circumstances. All 10 of them had leprosy, this deeply unfortunate illness, this deeply unfortunate social situation. All 10 of them were in the same spot. All 10 of them cried out to Jesus, 100%. Cried out to Jesus, heal us, show pity on us. All 10 of them experienced God's grace and God's mercy in unparalleled ways. All 10 of them were healed by Christ. All 10 of them went to the priest. They would have presented themselves. They would have been fully socially reinstated. All 10 of them experienced the same circumstances. But did you notice that even though they all have the same circumstances, they do not all have the same heart? Circumstances, the change of circumstances does not guarantee a change of heart. And what I mean by that is that to be a grateful, thankful person, that doesn't happen simply because of a change of circumstance. I put it this way in my notes. If you're taking notes, maybe you want to jot this down. I said this, gratitude is not something that happens to me. It's something that happens in me, all right? And here's what I mean by that. Circumstances happen to me, 
Gratitude doesn't happen to me. Gratitude is something that happens in me, regardless of the circumstances that are happening around me. All right? And here's why I think that that is so unbelievably important. The reason I think that's so important is because I believe that for many of us, we are under the impression that in order to become thankful, grateful, happy, get-to people, that the way that that's going to happen is through a change of circumstances. So, so let me explain what I mean. If I was to ask you, just a quick question, if I was to ask you to complete this statement, how would you complete it? So here's the statement I would ask you to complete is this. Um, I'd be grateful if. And if I asked you, hey, would you finish that statement for me? I'd be grateful I'd be thankful, I'd be happy if, how would you, how would you answer that statement? And here's what I think. I think that if most of us were really, really, really honest, we would answer that statement with a set of circumstances. So for example, you might say this, I'd be really happy, I'd be really grateful, I'd be really thankful if I could get rid of this job that I have right now. Right, this job is terrible, I can't stand it, it's such a burden to me, it stresses me out, my boss is an idiot, the people I work with are crazy, it's nuts, I can't stand my job. And so right now I feel like I have to do my job, and if there was a change of circumstances, if I could get rid of this job, then I would be a grateful person. Then I would be a thankful person. Then I would be in a happy situation. And oftentimes we'll answer this with a change of circumstances. For some of you, if I, said, if I asked you, um, I'd be happy if, you would say this. You'd say, well, I'd be happy if, I'd be happy if I could have a change of relational status. So right now I'm single and I'm lonely and I don't want to be single and I don't want to be lonely. And so I'm very discontent with where I am. I feel like I have to be single and I don't like it. And so I, I think I would be happy, I would be thankful, I would be grateful if I could get a boyfriend or if I could get a girlfriend, if I could have a significant other, then I would be happy, then I would be thankful, then I'd be grateful. But right now I feel like I'm kind of over in this have to category. In order for me to get to the get to category, I need a change of circumstances. And maybe for some of you right now, you're like, well, I, 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 right now I kind of feel like I'm in this have to mentality. And I feel like I would be grateful and I would be happy if I, could just, if I could just change something about my spouse, if she could just be different, if he could just stop doing whatever it is that he's doing, if, if I could just change that, if I could just, maybe even for some of us, if I could just get out of this marriage, then I would be a happy person. Then I would be a thankful person. Then I would be a grateful person. Oftentimes we'll answer these questions with a change of circumstances, right? For some of us, we, we say this, I'd be happy, I'd be grateful, I'd be, th- I think for all of us in this room, I'd be happy, I'd be grateful, I'd be thankful if the Indians won the World Series, right? And that is true. I was so depressed after that game. I don't know about you guys. I genuinely was like depressed for a full day. I'm over it now, but that's good. We always have next year, right? Believe land. And, but I think for some of us, we think, man, if there was a change of circumstances, that would be my key to living this life, a get-to life, full of wonder and full of excitement and full of... See, you guys, what this passage reveals to us is, is quite frankly this, that no change of circumstance can produce gratefulness and gratitude in your hearts. You have 10 guys who experienced the exact same circumstance and only one of them responds with gratitude and thankfulness in his heart. Only one of them does that. And what it reveals to us is that gratitude is not something that happens to you. Gratitude is something that happens in you. Gratitude is not something that's produced by a change of circumstances. Gratitude is something that's produced from a change of heart. There has to be something different that's happening 
within you. You guys, I think this is why the Apostle Paul says this in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. He says, rejoice always, pray continually, check this out, give thanks in all circumstances, all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see what the Apostle Paul says? He says, true joy and true thanks, thankfulness and gratitude does not come as a result of the circumstances that happen around you. He says, no, true, true thankfulness and gratitude is something that you can have inside of all circumstances, no matter what they are. And so what Thessalonians tells us is that there's only two times, according to the Bible, that we need to be thankful to God. Only two times. And that's when we feel like it and when we don't. Those are the only two times you have to be thankful, according to Scripture. But in all circumstances, he says, we can be thankful to what God has for us. So you guys, here's what the Bible tells us. The key to living the get-to life, the key, is, is not a change of circumstances. It's a change of heart. The key to living the get-to life is to be a grateful person, a person who is full of thankfulness, who recognizes the thing that, that God has done, who remembers God's grace in their life, and who praises as a result of that. So, so here's the big question then. The, the real question then is really this then how do we become grateful people? How do we do that? How do we become genuinely grateful people? Because here's what I believe. I believe that if I just said, Here, here's, the, here's the, the, um, the, your homework for this week, go and be grateful. I feel like if I said that, that, that would be a, a fail because none of us could just go do that. We can't just manufacture thankfulness and gratitude. So in this series, what we're gonna talk about is how do we become genuinely grateful people? Where does, where does true thankfulness and gratitude come from? Because you guys, I believe in this series, we'll discover that true gratitude, true thankfulness is possible. That living a get-to life is not some far-off, distant, you know, reality. That it's something that can be ours and that we can live this way. Because he, here's something else I know. I know this, you guys. I know that if you're a person who lives with a have-to perspective, when you have a have-to perspective about your job and about your relationships and about everything in life, I know that there's a trajectory that that leads to. And if we constantly live under a state of obligation to the things that we have, if we constantly live under a have-to mentality, the trajectory of this is that it, it will lead me to be a resentful, bitter, thankless, ungrateful, oftentimes cynical person. If this is the way that I view life, it's gonna lead me to those destinations. I think this is true because I think all of us, I, I know that I personally know and I that you probably know as well, many people who have everything that this earth has to offer and yet, and yet they lack joy and they lack gratitude in the midst of it. And the inverse is true too. I know people who have very, very little and yet they have such gratitude and such wonder and such joy in this life all because of this change of perspective of gratitude and thankfulness to a get to Life, Because if we live our lives through this lens, the trajectory of that is it leads to gratefulness. It leads to, it leads to worship. And it opens our eyes to a myriad of God's graces that he has provided for us. And so in this series, we want to talk about this. We want to talk about, man, how is this really possible? How do we become truly grateful people? And how do we live the get-to life? I'm going to ask the band to come up. And um, as, they, as they settle in, I want to end with just one final homework assignment for everyone in the room. And so whether you're a person of faith or not, whether you've been coming to Grace for a while or not, this is just one homework assignment that we have for everybody. And this is a, a small kind of fun little homework assignment that um, 
I think is actually a, a really good opportunity to check in on your own heart. And so here's what I'm going to ask you to do. This week, I'm going to ask you to pay attention to your language. Okay, I want you to watch what you say. And so if you're married or if, if you're in a family, if you have kids and stuff, I want you to watch each other, all right? And here's what I want you to watch. When, when you watch what you say, I want you to pay attention to every time you say the word, I have to. Whenever you say I have to, I want you to catch it, and I want you to replace it with I get to. And I just want you to see what that begins to do in your perspective. It starts to show you a little bit of your heart, okay? So, so if, you're, if you're married or if, you, if you're in a family, I want you to catch each other. Now, be nice about it. Don't be a jerk, right? Don't be like, you said get to, man, don't do that. Be nice about it, but I want you to, to pay attention to this because I believe that that small little change of language has the ability to begin to help you understand things from a different perspective and really understand your heart. So for example, what if this week you caught yourself and you said, man, I have to go to class. And you're, oh, wait, 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 no, no, no. I get to go to class, right? I, I, get, I get to go get this education. I have a, an amazing opportunity to pursue this education and then I have the freedom to pursue a career in this amazing uh, country that we live in right now. I get to go to class. What if you just made that change? What if instead of saying, oh man, I, I have to go work this dead-end job that pays too little. What if instead you said, no, I get to work this dead-end job that pays too little. <laughs> that doesn't work. No, no what, if instead you said, what if instead you said, no, you know what, I get to work this job that God has provided for this season to provide for my faith. See, you see how that small little change can radically change the way that you think? What if instead of saying, man, I, I have to get up with the, with the baby tonight, I have, to, I, have to, I have to feed, change the diaper or whatever. What if instead you said, no, no, man, I get to. I don't ever want to lose sight of the wonder and the privilege that it is to, to have the amazing responsibility to have these children. I don't want to lose sight of that. Just that one little change, it can change so much in my heart. You guys, even in the little things, even in the little things, what, what, if, what if you caught yourself this week and you said, man, I have to take out the trash? And what if you just said, you know, no, no, I get to. Because think about it. We, li- we live in an amazing society where you can take your smelly trash and put it in a bin and take it to the end of your road and these nice people will come and take your trash away for you, right? Have you guys ever been to a third world country where that doesn't happen? It's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a very, very difficult environment to be in. And you see, all of a sudden, what became an obligation, suddenly wonder is reawakened in your heart again. Thankfulness generates. What, what if instead of saying, man, I, I have to go to the store, what if you said, no, no, I get to go to the store, How wild is it that we live in an economy in such a way that I don't have to go out and hunt a chicken and kill it myself. I can go to Aldi and buy one. That's awesome, right? I mean, geez, the wonder of that. We take things for granted. What if instead of saying, oh, man, I have to get my car fixed this week? What if instead you said, man, how awesome is it that I get to get my car? How cool is it that I get to have a car? I get to sit in a chair and go 65 miles an hour down the road. If I would have told someone that 300 years ago, they would have thought that was magic. How cool is that? That we get to, what if you, what if you get to say, instead of saying, man, I have to vote this week. You said, no, man, I get to. What a privilege it is for us to live in a society where we can have a democracy, have a say in the way that our country is run. And, and it's, just, it's just a small little change. But what if we did that this week? And what if we just caught each other? and changed our have-tos into get-tos. I think it would do a lot for our hearts. Let's pray together. Well, Jesus, I just want to say thank you so much that we get to be here tonight. It's a privilege. It is, God. It's a privilege that we get to be in this building uh, that's heated, that we get to read our Bibles together. 
Father, that we can open the word of God without persecution, without fear. Father, that we can learn from you, that, that all of us have this amazing opportunity to be here this evening. And so, Father, I pray, I just pray so much, Father, that you would help us not to be like the nine lepers who walked away, who took your, who took your blessings, who took your mercy, who took your grace, and then forgot and didn't recognize the miracle that had been done for them and did not express thankfulness. Father, I pray that you would help us to be like the one. Help us to be like the one who came back. The one who came back and recognized the good things you've done for him and the transformation that took place as a result of it. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us to be thankful people. God, help us to be people of gratitude. Help us to be people that don't, that don't put our stock in our circumstances to be the thing that changes our heart, but instead I pray that our heart and our gratitude and thankfulness to you would transcend over all of our circumstances. So God, as we go from this place, I pray that we be blessed as a result of what we heard and what we learned tonight. We just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.